Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. So glad that you could join us for a look at the book, the book we're looking at today, the book of Zechariah. I have a six-part series on the book of Zechariah. This is a book that will help you understand the times in which we're living. You know, many people talk about the Jewish feast and the fulfillment of these Jewish feasts. Well, this study that we're going to take right now in Zechariah helps us to understand the fulfillment of the feast. That's just in a moment, but let me tell you, this is a six-part audio series on CD that is available to you. And after we have our study, I'll tell you how you can get your own personal copy so you can study through the book of Zechariah. But right now, let's spend a few moments taking a look at the book, the book of Zechariah and the Fulfillment of the Jewish Feast. Let's look at those feasts. you got Leviticus 23. Here he's going to lay down and give the feast to the people. He brings Moses. Let me tell you where they are. They're at Mount Sinai. They have been encamped at Mount Sinai. God calls Moses up onto the mountain. He's starting to instruct him. In Exodus chapter 20, he gives him the Ten Commandments, but he continues to give him information that will guide the Jewish people the way he wants to them. By the way, when we, actually what you're going to see is that the seven feasts are a narrative pointing to and include the redemptive story for the Jewish people. The redemptive story for the Jewish people is found in the seven feasts. They're in Mount Sinai, in the Sinai Desert. They're not into the Promised Land. These feasts are not going to be allowed to take place until they get into the Promised Land, except for the first two feasts, because they had already been established. The first feast that we see, look here at what he says now, he comes to Moses, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, verse 2, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feast. Now look down in verse 4. These are the feast of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons, in their time. They are at a special time, and he's going to date them, or tell you by counting a certain number of days when the feast should take place. Verse 5, in the 14th day of the first month, that month in our calendar would be basically the month of April. In the 14th day of the month of April, or in the 14th day of Nisan, which is the Jewish month, in the 14th day of the first month, at even, even is the time that begins a Jewish day. You know how a Jewish day is counted? A Jewish day starts at sundown and goes evening first and then day and concludes at sundown. The Sabbath begins Friday at sundown, concludes on Saturday at sundown. Why was that? Because God said in creation, and the evening and the day were the first day. And so they take God's description of a day. And now he says the Passover is going to begin in the evening part of the 14th day of the first month. In other words, 
as it did this year, Passover fell on Thursday, starting thus on Wednesday at sundown. Passover then began Wednesday evening, and that's when they had the Passover Seder, and that's when the Passover took place in the book of Exodus chapter 12, and that's when they're to observe the day of Passover. But the day of Passover continues all the way to the evening of the next day. This year it happened to conclude, uh, go all the way to the evening of Thursday, and the day of Passover was set. And that's what they're talking about on the first, uh, on the fifteenth, uh, fourteenth day of the first month. Now look at the next, and so the first uh, feast is Passover. Now look at the next. And by the way, what has happened today, and even at the time of Jesus Christ, the first two feasts have been combined as one, but they are distinctly two different feasts. It's essential that you understand. We don't go to what tradition brought in. We go to what God's word says will take place. The first feast is on the 14th day of the first month, and that is Passover. Now look at verse 6. And on the 15th day, that's different than the 14th day, isn't it? Yes. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so the next feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it says, as we continue to read there, seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have a holy convocation. The first day of this seven-day feast is a very important day. It's a holy convocation. It's a special high holy day. That's what holy convocation means. It's a very special, and this is important for you to remember, it's a very special high holy day. And so the feast of unleavened bread for seven days, they don't eat bread that's leavened. They eat unleavened bread, and that is, comes about by not putting yeast in your dough when you get it. And in fact, when they prepare the dough, if you keep it, if you don't have it in the oven, in 18 minutes, then it becomes leaven automatically. And so when they fix it, they have to have the bread, and meticulously is taken care of. They take the dough and they get it into the oven in 18 minutes after they mixed it. And the bread is made. And then you have unleavened bread. It's it's, it's a whole industry in the nation of Israel. Now look at verse 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land. Here's where he's talking about now. When you come into the land. What land is he talking about? The promised land. Only when you come into the land. Not until then, when you, until you come into the land. Will you now observe all of these feasts together. When you come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheath of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow, here it is, here's when it takes place, on the morrow after Shabbat, or the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. First fruits takes place on the day after Shabbat or the day after Sabbath or it's taking place on Sunday because Shabbat is on Saturday, which literally starts, this is confusing, just pay attention, buy the tape, you can go back and play it again, which literally starts on Friday evening at sundown, okay? So the first day of the week, Sunday, starts on Saturday evening at sundown. Important to remember. I'll get back to it in a few moments. Okay, so the third feast now is first fruits. Look down here in verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from that day that ye brought the sheath of the wave offering, in other words, Sunday, 
right after the Sabbath, the morrow after the Sabbath, even seven Shabbats, even seven more Saturdays, even until the morrow after the seventh Shabbat, 50 days. You count seven Shabbats, that's 49 days. The next day is 50 days. The Septuagint used the word Pentecost for 50. It's the Feast of Harvest, or it's the Feast of Pentecost. There's different names, but just for our use now, it's called the Feast of Pentecost, coming 50 days after first fruits. Very important. And it comes on Sunday. As first fruits had to come on Sunday, so does Feast of Pentecost have to come on Sunday. Because it was seven Shabbats and the day after, which is Sunday. Okay? So now you have the Feast of Pentecost. There's the first four. Look over with me now, if you will. And by the way, what they do here, look at in verse 17. Ye shall bring out of your habitation two wheat, I mean, wave loaves of two-tenth deals that should be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. Isn't that interesting? Before unleavened, now he's saying put leaven in it. Because we think that leaven represents sin, and that's not absolutely true. Why would he be saying, put sin in it? You're going to weigh these before the Lord. Leaven has another meaning, I believe. It's to separate. Remember what happened in Exodus chapter 12? He said, take the lamb, prepare it. You have the lamb standing, all dressed. You put the bread in, but you're not going to have time to get, it becomes unleavened bread. And what was he trying to say with the unleavened bread? He was saying, look, from now on you'll celebrate this unleavened bread. Passover is celebrating you coming out of the bondage, out of captivity. Unleavened bread is an indicator of separation. You're leaving captivity. You're leaving your slavery. You're coming out of Egypt. Now I'm going to separate that. Because, see, before you had to continue to take a little bit of your bread, you know, and, and to make the next, in that time when they were making bread, the moms would have to get a little bit of that dough and, and save it for the next one and make some more and then save some of that. But now he says, cut that all off. I don't want any of that bread you had in bondage. I'm going to separate seven days. And so leaven, in my opinion, more than referring to sin, is talking about separation, setting them apart from what they had been. And so now you eat the seven days unleavened bread, and you go in. But now he comes to the Feast of Pentecost. You see, the first feast, they came in with a wave offering. It was the barley harvest that was being celebrated. Now it's the wheat harvest, 50 days later, the wheat harvest, and they come in, and they've made two loaves, and the priest is supposed to come in with the two loaves of leavened bread, separation, why? Well, you'll see what happens on Pentecost and wave it before the Lord. Those are the first four feasts. They take place in the spring. They Notice they're dealing very closely with harvest time, the agrarian society that the Jewish people were a part of. Very interesting study. Look at the next feast that's going to take place, verse 23 of chapter 23. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, now we're talking about October, we were talking about April in the first month, now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month shall be a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. This is Rosh Hashanah, the new year, or, by the way, this is a civil new year. How can you have the first month and now the seventh month being the first of the new year? Well, they have a religious new year, a spiritual new year, and a civil new year. The civil new year starts in the seventh month. I know you're all confused. Just pay attention and listen and take it in by faith. And so in the seventh month, on the first day, it's Rosh Hashanah, and it is the Feast of Trumpets. And they say, blow the trumpets, sound the alarm in Zion, as Joel says. Okay, so the Feast of Trumpets. Now, look at verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, also on the tenth day of the seventh month, ten days later, after the Feast of Trumpets, there's going to be the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The feast of Yom Kippur, the feast of the Day of Atonement. And during that 10-day period, what the Feast of Trumpets is to do is to call the nation of Israel to repentance. Now, for the 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets begin, which is a one-day feast, and the trumpets are sounded to alert the people, there is a time of repentance. I have had Jewish people call me, search out where I was during that 10-day period of time, call me. They're the 10 awesome days. Call me and say, Jimmy, I want to confess that I, I treated you wrongly. Why? Because you were going into Yom Kippur. They were to repent during that 10-day period. The Feast of Trumpets was a call to repentance. That's what the whole purpose of it was. Then the next most holy day of all of the Jewish feasts, Yom Kippur, the Feast of the Day of Atonement. Look what's going to happen. Look there in verse 27, middle of the verse. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Look at verse 29. For whosoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be caught off from among his people. They don't afflict their souls, and I'll tell you what that says in a moment. They're going to be cut off from the Jewish people. Look what it says in verse 32. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls. Afflict your souls. You know what they do today to afflict their souls? And they come up with this. They afflict their souls by making Yom Kippur a day of fasting. Nothing except water to drink, no food for a 24-hour period of time, afflicting their souls, mourning, taking the time to dig into the Word of God, developing that relationship, Yom Kippur, and the day that it actually happened, the high priest, while the people were fasting, would take the sacrificial blood in the Mizrach into the Holy of Holies, pouring it on the Ark of the Covenant to cover over the sins for one more year. Remember what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9? Jesus entered in once, not every year. Glory to God. He became our Yom Kippur, having only to do it one time. Because the blood of goats and bulls 
does not accomplish the task. But without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Yom Kippur, the day that their souls had to be afflicted. Now there's one more feast here in chapter 23. One more feast. Look over in verse 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month. All happening in the seventh month, basically in the month of October. This year was in the month of September because of our calendar differences. But it's basically in the month of October. Okay, tell the children, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a time of rejoicing. It is another harvest feast. The first fruits feast back in the spring was barley. The Feast of Pentecost was a celebration of the feast of I mean, the harvest of wheat. Now we come to the Feast of Tabernacles, and it is a special celebration, a time of thanksgiving unto the Lord for the harvest of grapes, of olives, and of all of their fruits that come forth in the fall. And so they're celebrating in an agrarian society thanksgiving to God for all that he's provided for them through these feasts. But there's more meaning in the feast than just we see right there. Now, I've showed you the feast. I've given you the order. I've told you that these, basically, these feasts are the redemptive story of the Jewish people. I want to tell you something. Four of these seven feasts have been fulfilled for the Jewish people. Thank you for joining us here as we have taken a look at the book, looking at Zechariah. And really what we've been looking at is the fulfillment of the Jewish feast and how they play into the end time scenario that God's prophetic word reveals to all of us as we study it diligently. By the way, you need to have your copy of Zechariah. It's entitled The Zechariah Perspective. It's a six-part audio series on CD that is available to you. You can call our toll-free number, 877-674-3298, or you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and make your order by going to our shopping mall. The title of this series, The Zechariah Perspective, and it's a six-hour audio series on CD that will help you get a handle on this very important prophetic book. As we study Zechariah, and in fact all of the prophetic books, we become more and more aware every day that the next event in God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church when Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, and the trumpet God calls us up to be with him, that that could happen at any moment. In fact, it could happen before I finish the next sentence. And in light of that, there's nothing left for me to say now, except let's keep looking up until...